Isn't that beautiful? Such a song of hope, a song of resistance in the midst of suffering. That the human spirit always persists. Uh, welcome to our first online uh, service here at Prodigal Church. And we are in a unique time. Uh, the steps that we are taking as a nation and the steps that we are taking as a church are to limit the spread of the coronavirus. We're trying to preserve life, and I know it's inconvenient, and I know that not everyone is going to agree, but this is a global crisis, and for followers of Jesus, it's not time to debate or lecture people why we shouldn't be scared. Instead, it's time for us to lend a hand to the hurting. That is our call as followers of Christ. But before we go there, let's speak to the very real worry and anxiety that many of us are experiencing. You might be experiencing that in your living room right now, in the car driving somewhere, but this anxiety, it's real. We are a culture of worry. In generations past, they didn't have the capabilities to do anything about so many different circumstances, so they didn't fret. Now we have endless possibilities, and it can be paralyzing. If there's a sickness, we load up on hand sanitizer, toilet paper, vitamins, airborns, emergency. The lines at Costco this week were insane. Some of you were there. If we think our skin is too fair, we can go tanning and fix that. If we think our face is too wrinkly, we can get Botox and fix that. If we're going bald, there's a litany of cures. I know. I was at Supercut several years ago. And the person's cutting my hair, and the next thing I hear her say is, ooh. And I'm like, what? Did you, did you mess up on my hair? And she goes, you're getting really thin right here. And she used the comb as if it was like a magic wand, and she was cursing my baldness. And she goes, you're getting bald all right here. And I was just like, keep it in your head. Like, don't tell me this. See, this is, this is a picture of me and my son. Okay, and this is a picture of me and my grandson <laughs> 30 years from now, okay, goo, okay, I am worried about this. If you see me outside the church anywhere, at Starbucks or at the gas station, wherever, I'm probably wearing a hat, not so that I could block the sun, but so that I could hide my baldness. Uh, I'm worried. We worry about everything. We worry about big things. Should I take this job or should I not? And we worry about small things. Which kind of pain reliever should I take? Well, this one's fast acting and this one's long lasting. I used to think it was helpful to think about like, like worst case scenarios for my day. And then since that probably won't happen, maybe that, that would give me enough strength to kind of face the little problems that I might face. So I'd play out in my head like worst possible day someone could have. For me, that's, that's like, your favorite football team loses to the Raiders, okay? You brush your teeth with cortisone cream. You burn your toast. Your twin brother forgets your birthday. Or your wife wakes up and says, good morning, Bill, and your name is John, okay? This exercise never helped me. That's probably why I stopped doing it. But worry is something that plagues us all. Jesus speaks into this in his Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 27. It says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, 
or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Jesus really focuses in on this, this worry thing. Many of us are thinking, well, it's not that big of a deal, right? It's not like I'm, I'm stealing or I'm killing anyone. I'm not hurting anybody. But you are, though. You're hurting yourself. Uh, Dr. Walter Cannon, a Harvard University researcher in psychosomatic medicine, describes what happens to the human body when we become worrisome. He says this, respiration deepens, the heart beats more rapidly, the arterial pressure rises, blood is shifted from the stomach and intestines to the heart, sugar is freed from the reserves of the liver. All these things are happening, by the way, when you're worrying. Adrenaline is secreted, the spleen contracts and discharges its contents of concentrated corpuscles. You don't want that. I don't know what it means. It sounds terrible. Worry affects you and your health. You ever heard the phrase, I was worried sick? That is a real thing. Uh, there's more truth to that phrase than we may even realize. It, the Greek word for worry is actually two words. It, it, it's the word for divided and the word for mind. A divided mind. That's worry. And it makes sense, right? Have you ever been like, I'm okay. It's, it's going to go well. Nope, no, it's not going to go well. It's going to be awful. That's a divided mind. That's worry. It can also be translated distracted. Maybe you find yourself in that boat right now. Corey Ten Boom spoke of the unraveling effects of worry when she said, Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, but it empties today of its strength. We worry about things, and they may not even happen. Statistics show that they probably won't happen. Uh, I read this week that an average person's anxiety is focused in on 40% of things that will never happen, 30% of things about the past that can't be changed, 12% about things about criticism by others, mostly untrue, 10% about health, which gets worse with stress, 8% about real problems that will be faced. And God's a help in our times of trouble. The, the Scots have this proverb, what may be, may not be. I can just picture like this, this Scotsman like with a bagpipe and a, and a kilt on. And he's like, hello, lads and lassies. What may be, may not be. I just want to use a Scottish accent in a, in a sermon. I don't think I've ever done that before. It didn't work. Um, when we worry, it paralyzes us from action. Oh, I've got this bill. It's too high. I can't pay it. What if it goes to collections? What if I lose everything, including my hair? Worry paralyzes you from selling stuff, picking up a few extra hours at the office, and cutting back in other areas. Worry does not add to your life. It takes away aspects of your life. So Jesus continues. He says, don't worry. He says it numerous times in Matthew 6. Look at verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field uh, grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the fields, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, 
Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. See, that should be it, right? It should be over. Be worried. We shouldn't be plagued by worry. How do we get out of this cycle, though? A couple practical applications. Number one, live in the present, not the past, not the future. Live in the present. Not the past, not the future. Many of you are familiar with the early 2000s movie, The 300, which is based uh, on um, an actual event in 480 BC. The outmanned army of Sparta's King Leonidas had to hold off the Persian troops of King Xerxes, fighting them one by one through a narrow mountain pass. Now, suppose Leonidas and his handful of men had gone out to the wide open plain and attacked the thousands and thousands of Persians. Though they may have fought like lions, they would have been wiped out. See, we stand in the narrow pass of today. If we choose to battle every battle all at once, we are sure to suffer defeat. But if we trust God and take on our troubles one by one, one day at a time, we'll find that our strength will be sufficient. See, worry is fighting unnecessary battles. Let's conserve our strength for when we actually need to fight. Our children do this better than us, right? Kids are happier than us. They're not stressed. They live in the now. Remember when you were a kid and your parents said, we're going to go to a theme park in two weeks. And you're like, yes. You wake up the next morning, you say, is it, are we going today? And they're like, no, 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 it's still 13 days away. Next morning, is it today? Are we going today? It felt like forever because they live in the present, we don't. And speaking of kids, I'm a parent, I have a six-year-old and a two-year-old, and many of your schools, those who are watching and following online, many of your schools are going to be closed down, so your kids are going to be home. You're going to be spending a lot more time with your kids than was planned. Here's my encouragement. Let's make some wonderful memories. Here at my house, we're calling this a staycation. It's a special thing that, that rarely ever happens where dad's home more often and there's no school and we get to do fun things together. So we're going to build pillow forts. We're going to play hide-and-go-seek. We're going to have movie nights in the living room. We're going to go on evening walks together. So let's make this a beautiful, wonderful thing for our families, and we can draw closer together. Let's have some fun. Let's see the beauty in every day. Number two, create a conditioned response. Cast your worries on God. A conditioned response. Now, we, uh, we know a, a normal reflex, right? A normal response is where you put your hand on a burning stove and you immediately pull away, okay? No one had to teach you that. That's something that's natural. A conditioned reflex, a conditioned response is something like that, but it, 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 it's developed. It's grown. It has to be learned. Like stopping at red lights. When my son Dex sees a red light, his foot doesn't go to a brake pedal. Uh... When we're at a stadium and you've got your pretzel and your soda and suddenly a song comes on and everybody stands up, takes their hat off, and puts it over their heart. That's a conditioned response. 
If you're a foreigner, you don't know what's happening. Why is everyone standing? Why are we removing, removing our hats? When we worry, we must develop a conditioned response so that when it comes upon us, we automatically send them to God. And it's hard, and it's going to take some work, but eventually you'll start stopping at red lights and you'll start standing at national anthems. Mary Crowley said this, every evening I turn worries over to God. He's going to be up all night anyway. That's true. 1 Peter 5, 17. Cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Some of us need to memorize this. We need to put it on our in the morning. We need to put it on our dash. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. When the latest news causes you to stress and to worry, may you condition your response. May you de develop a conditioned reflex to cast your anxiety on Jesus. Lord, I lay this before you. Lord, I lay this stress, this worry, all these difficulties, I lay it upon you. He's bigger than God. He can carry him. Number three, know and trust that God is good. This passage in 1 Peter 5, he cares for you, is literal, literally he is mindful of you and your interests. God is mindful for you and your interests your heart, your mind, your stresses. That's what Jesus says as well, right? He says, I take care of the birds of the air. I take care of the flowers of the field. I'll take care of you. If Jesus has got the birds, he's got you. John Ortberg said this. I think it's fitting. For most of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith, it is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will skim our lives instead of actually living them. So let's get really real and practical as we close this service. Let's, let's look at the teachings of Jesus that we can apply to our lives right here, right now, in this season of our nation's life, in this season of our world. Matthew 7, same Sermon on the Mount, Jesus later says, do to others what you would like them do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. This, Jesus says something very similar in Matthew 22, where he says, love God, love others. That the entire commands can be focused in on this, can be summed down to this. Jesus was the first to teach this golden rule, to do unto others as you would have them do. Some of you may have said, well, don't all religion, religions teach some version of the golden rule? This do unto others as you would have them do unto you? Don't all religions kind of teach the same thing? No, it's not true. That's actually a bit of a stretch. Um, not all religions t touch on it at all. And those who do speak of it in the negative side, not the positive. Okay? See, Confucius, he says, never impose other, on others what you would not choose for yourself. See, it's in the negative. Bahula in the Baha'i faith says, ascribe not to any soul that thou would not ascribe to thee. The Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama, hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. The Hindu scriptures, one should never do that to another which one regards as injurious to one's own self. Uh, and then even in Wicca, if it harms none, do what you want. 
See, what you have here is not the ethic of love that Jesus offers us. You have an ethic of non-involvement. And we think because we're not doing anything bad, we are on par with the teachings of Jesus. We are not. You're inactive, and it changes nothing. So that's the problem, right? It's nowhere close to the golden rule. The I will do to others as they would have them do to me changes the world. The, hey, I'm not hurting anyone, and so leave me alone, that doesn't change anything. We must do something about it to change the circumstances. What would this look like for us in the present pandemic? What would it look like for us to do to others as we would have them do unto ourselves? As we follow Jesus, we'll change the world. It's something Christians have been doing for 2,000 years. You go back a couple hundred years uh, to a follower of Jesus named Jean-Henri Duneau. In, in the 1800s, he couldn't stand the sound of wounded soldiers on the battlefield, so he devoted his life to helping wounded soldiers in the midst of battles. And ultimately, that became what we now call the Red Cross. So every time you see a disaster in the world and you see that symbol, that Red Cross, that's actually a thumbprint of Jesus. That was started because followers of Jesus practiced the radical teachings of Jesus. Then you go back even farther, go to the fourth century, okay? There was a church father named Basil. He had this idea. What if we built a place where we can love and care for lepers and the sick? They don't have any money, and we can raise it. And you know what? That was the beginning of what we now know as hospitals. That was started by a follower of Jesus. Then go back to the early church. One historian, one historian writes this, that one of the ways Christianity spread like wildfire across the ancient world was because of the way his followers treated sick people. How, how the followers of Jesus were loving others. See, leprosy meant death and isolation. You saw a leper, you ran. Jesus touched lepers. Jesus healed lepers. Between the year 250 and 270, a terrible plague, believed to be the measles or smallpox, devastated the Roman Empire. At the height of what became known as the Plague of Cyprian, that was named after the bishop, St. Cyprian, who chronicled what was happening, 5,000 people a day died in the Roman Empire. The plague coincided with the first empire-wide persecution of Christians under the emperor Decius. And not surprisingly, Decius and other enemies started to, to scapegoat and say that the plague was brought about because of Christians. That claim, however, was undermined by two very inconvenient truths. One, Christians died from the plague just like everybody else did. And two, Unlike everybody else, they cared for the victims of the plague, including their pagan neighbors. And the gospel went viral because of it. The emperor Julian, the apostate, in the late 4th century wrote about Christians. He said this, The impious Galileans support not only their own poor, but ours as well. The epidemic that seemed like the end of the world actually promoted the spread of Christianity. Because Christians loved, and they loved well. Nearly 18 centuries after the plague of Cyprian, Christianity still prompts people to run towards the plague when everyone else is running away. What would it look like for us as Christians, for us followers of Jesus, to love? Is it going to an elderly neighbor and to say, hey, we want to limit your exposure. And so, 
could I get groceries for you and bring them, you give me a list and I'll bring you groceries? What would it look like? What would it look like to call places of need in our community? And we here at Prodigal, we're, we're researching this now. We are researching concrete ways that we as a church can be a blessing and run towards helping others and not isolating ourselves. In what ways can you love others during this pandemic? As followers of Jesus, this is not time to fear. This is our time to shine. Will you shine in your community? Let our love speak louder than anything else. And in so doing, we are tying ourselves to 2,000 years of Christian history, saints across the centuries, loving in the midst of difficulty. And we are tying ourselves to our Lord and Savior, Jesus himself, who says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. God, I pray a blessing over every person listening right now online, whether they're here in California or they're uh, in elsewhere in the United States or they're in our world. God, we pray that you bless them. We pray for your protection. And we pray, God, that you would fill us up with your spirit in such a way that we can go and radically love the needy, that, the, that we could radically love the sick, that we would be a blessing, that we take care of those around us and that we live differently. So God, we thank you that you model that for us. So God, during this season, help us shape our church to be who you've called us to be, God. Us not gathering on Sundays could actually mean more mobilization to focus in on being the church elsewhere. So help us to be the church in our homes. Help us to be the church of Jesus in our city and in our world. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.